Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this uh, podcast. I'm a little self-conscious introducing this week's podcast because last week we chose to focus on Wednesday and this week, the entire week has both the same title and effectively the same Bible passage as was discussed last week on Wednesday. So we're going to forage around for some new ground and I think there's plenty of new ground to explore. Uh, My name's Cameron. G'day, Ken here. Nice to be back again. And I'm Luke and I'm glad to have Ken back. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Locke's not with us at the moment. He um he bore the brunt of the editing over the last four or five weeks as as I was um up in New South Wales travelling and Ken you you escaped Australia entirely, didn't you? Yeah, it went to Fiji, had a lovely time with uh, my family. It was wonderful. Yeah. Okay. So um what I want to do is dive into Tide. This whole week's on Tithe. And um, I'm going to, I only got as far as Sunday and Monday, and I've already got a long list of questions. And um, what I thought we would do is, uh, first of all, state in the Bible passages where tithe are giving, we referred obliquely to this last week, but I think it'd be worth actually formally writing them down, as it were, except speaking them out loud, um, making note of them. What were the restrictions about tithe that uh, the people of Israel and God had to deal with at that time. So for instance, one of them is tithe was given in perishable goods. That's going, that's going to have a fairly large effect on how tithe is given. So, that, And there are some other restrictions I can think of. I'd be interested to um, uh, explore those with you. The next question will be, uh, Sunday it says tithe equals a tenth. Does it? Uh, should it? Uh, What is tithe trying to achieve if we are operating under a different set of constraints to those that the Israelites were operating under, but we are trying to achieve the same ends? What some creative ways tithing could be done? I think that's that's the direction I'd like to to head in today. So first of all, uh, constraints. You're an ancient Israelite. You're living 3,000 years ago. What are the things that constrain you in tithe giving and the sorts of tithe you can give and how it's calculated and administered and distributed? The immediate thought that comes to mind is that um, it must have been given fairly infrequently because it's not like if you're in an ancient agrarian society, you get a pay packet every fortnight. You know, crops have three or four harvest cycles a year, depending on the type of crop. Some crops have only one. Um, Livestock breed you know, on a time frame of months and years as well. You, you're not getting a new lamb every two weeks. So the way we do tithe, which is to automatically take 10% of your income out of your pay packet every month and give it straight to the church without thinking about it, um, is very much not what they were doing. No. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, Ken, do you have anything to throw in? Um <laughs> Uh, no, not really. No, 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 nothing to add there. I, I think frequency, the nature uh, of the goods, um, is is different. Uh, the other thing is the logistics, the um, uh, where you are placed, um, uh, distances, um, those sorts of things. Yep. Of course, in in a society where we mediate purchases through money, money is a very easy thing to transport, especially in today's mm. internet age. Um, I imagine if you were in a sort of outer 
um, far-flung corner of Israel, bringing your tithe of goats and lambs to the temple was probably quite an undertaking. Uh, here's a side question before I throw in a few extra. Did the Levites pay tithe? I thought they were the recipients of the tithe. They didn't, they didn't grow crops and they didn't so have The land. tithe was in, in part supposed to support them. Yeah, why do our pastors pay tithe? <laughs> Look, yeah. there's, a, there's a bit of a cynical response to this, to, to that yeah. question, a bit of a cynical and somewhat oblique response. But I, I, there's, a, there's a part of me that just gets this sense that all of the questions that are asked about tithe are given an answer that favours the institution. Um, uh, so, so that, um, uh, anyway, that, that's what it is. So, of course, well, you know, the pastors are the equivalent of the Levites, whether or not the Levites paid tithe, they're still employees, and so yeah. they should be paying a tithe as well. And, and it, it, it all just seems to every, every answer, and, and what's the storehouse? Well, you know, the storehouse is where the gospel ministers are employed. Well, is that right? Because when tithe was introduced, there was no such thing as a gospel minister. Um, there was a priest, um, uh, and there were, the, and it wasn't even necessarily the priests. It's the Levites who aren't priests. Uh, not all of them. Um, they're they're people who serve in the sanctuary. So, well, they don't just do that. Ken, we got to get onto this a bit later um, because I think we need to think a bit carefully about what the priests did. Um, because it's fairly wide scope. Before we get there, I've got one more limitation I want to throw in, which I, I would suggest is a is a very limiting fact. People in ancient Israel had limited um, computational resources. Now, you you can't. We still teach simple interest at school, and why I do not know. Um, simple interest is going to have no impact. It's because it's easier to learn, but it's so useless. Um, Simple interest largely dates from a time where people didn't have the computational resources to manage compound interest, because compound interest is computationally very intensive. Uh, and of course, banks used to employ large numbers of people just pouring over books. But even that, you go back to the 1800s and there's all the clerks in the bank pouring over the books, even that is a, is a, a million miles away from ancient Israel. And... Um, <clears throat> Our system for calculating interest, uh, our system for calculating taxes, our system for rectifying social inequalities as a society are so much more complex. I mean, I've got a PhD in maths and every year I dread looking at my tax return and trying to work out what to do. Um, in terms of all the categories and brackets and shifting rates and all the rest of it, it, it is an effort to make it more equitable. Um, and so, for instance, we, we have higher brackets of tax for people who are earning more. By and large, people who have more money benefit more from the services offered by society than people who are poor. And so we say, well, then they should be expected to pay more. And we regard this as somewhat fair and equitable. That system was completely out of reach of a society where most people were not literate, um, let alone schooled in any sort of rigorous sort of mathematics. It seems to me this emphasis on tithe being a tenth is you know, is a is a mathematical necessity. Pick some ratio and, and run with it and just make it consistent and as few adjustments or loopholes or accommodations as possible. Um, we don't live in that world. 
why don't we have a sliding tithe bracket? Well, some people do have a sliding tithe bracket. Um, uh, well, I, I, I'm thinking of the book, um, which I found quite inspirational, um, about uh, Latournier, I think his name was. He, um, uh, it's called Mover of Men and Mountains, an old older book now. You gentlemen are probably too young to have even been aware of its existence. Um, but he, he manufactured earth-moving machinery, um, and gradually over the years, as his business succeeded, um, he increased the amount of tithe, in inverted commas, uh, that he paid to 90%. Um, uh, he didn't need any more um, and just devoted the vast majority of his resources to uh, um, to God's work, including a university that I think, you know, recognised him with naming and um, various things like that. So uh, there are some who do make it a, tithe, a, a sliding scale. Um, in, in particular, and this is going to steer us into the next part of the topic um, of, of the second question I, I outlined at the start. You know, if tithing was there in part to help people who are struggling, why don't we say... To as a church, we won't accept more than five percent tithe from single mothers. We just we just can't do it. It's it's at such odds with the with the philosophy of tithing. Um, you know, is there a point in which a church saying to um, I was in a Sabbath school last week where someone related a friend of theirs um, who was in a different denomination but a, a Christian denomination and they had a visit they hadn't been visited by the pastor for months the pastor came to visit them and they were really struggling financially and the pastor came to call on them they thought this is wonderful we're going to be um, looked after and nurtured and no no none of that the pastor had called to inquire why their donations to the church had tailed off mm. and it was because they were having trouble putting food on the table um, uh, yes uh, it reminds I was I'm reminded of two things. One is that there's always been a system, at least in our church, for scaling up tithe, and that's offerings. If you want to give more, you give more. Yeah. Um, and you give as much as you want. And yeah. it's it's traditionally anonymous as well. You, you're not doing it in front of anybody. Um, the hand goes into the offering basket, releases the money, comes out. Nobody sees oh. unless you want them to. How many hundred dollar bills you put in? I have to. I have to have a chuckle about this because in, in our church, um, I, I'm not. I'm not criticising this, although I've I've wondered what it says about appearances. Um, because there are people who pay online, um, and when the offering bag comes round and you don't put your hand in it with something, uh, people might think you're not paying your tithe, even though you really are online. Uh, we've got little cards that people can be given so that they can, or that people have, so that they can just put a little card in. I didn't uh, know. That says, it's I've, a little I've, piece of paper that says I owe you. I've, I've paid online, you know, so so nobody can look at you and say, oh, they didn't they didn't put their tithe in this one. <laughs> Ken, that's amazing. The other option, of course, is, as someone pointed out to me once, facetiously, I should add, that it's always possible if you're quite deaf to put your hand, your right hand in the top of the bag and with your left hand just surreptitiously flick the bottom of the bag so that the coins which are already in there go chink, chink, chink and then and then pass it on then you don't put anything in it at all. And that, that maintains appearances without the, the actual cost of any monetary sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> on, on, on a more serious thought about 
the giving of offerings, since we're onto the topic now. Um, you reminded me of, I'm reminded of two stories, and I'll just keep them anonymous because they happen, but these are both real events which occur. One of which is, is somebody bought a non Christian friend to church who was interested um, in the gospel. And, and they decided they wanted to come along to church and they came for the first time. Um, and then in that particular Adventist church, offering was done by people going down the front and, and putting it in, uh, which logistically you can't do in a big church, but you can in a small church. And that was a deal breaker. The, yeah. the, the, the person, the new, the seeker, um, immediately felt pressured to, to make a public financial contribution. And if that was the priorities and the things, and if you're going to be shamed in any sort of way for not putting money in, they, they were out. It was, it was a money-grubbing operation as far as they were concerned. Um, the other story, the other experience that I, I know somebody's had is they were a member at a church for many, many years. Um, you know, their whole life they've been a member at this church. It was a church attached to a school that they had gone to. Um, so they'd been in the church since they were a child. Um, long-standing relationships with many people there. Um, and then for, for personal reasons, they'd stopped attending that church for many years as an adult. And nobody had really noticed. Um, and then... Uh, the time came when they decided to transfer their church membership to a different church. Immediately, they were visited by the pastor, wondering uh, what, what's, what's going on? Why, why are we uh, moving uh, our tithe money to a, to a different church budget? And uh, we'd really like you to stay and all the rest of it. And uh, it uh, just made this particular person wonder where the real priorities were. Yeah. They're very sobering. They, 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 they were only cared about when there was a threat that the money would be with them. Yeah. Because their tithe had been going into that church budget for years, even though they hadn't been attending. That eases a problem in my own mind immensely, Luke. I, um, I, you may resonate with this. Uh, my preferable number for a congregation would be about five. I think any, any more than five people, and I will leave it feeling exhausted rather than uh, rejuvenated. Um, and that's I, just... I personally find we do quite well with three or four. Yeah. Well, then all I need to do is send my tithe and stop going. Um, keeps, it keeps, it, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't continue in that vein. Um, because one of the most challenging verses in the Bible, the, the verse I find more challenging than anything else, um, is the verse that says the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. It's not that the eye... Um, it's possible to, to love someone... You know, I love you. We're not friends. We're not. We're different personalities. We're not going to get on. But I, I have an affection for you, and I'm so glad you're part of the family of God. That's, that's easier than saying I actually need you, um, and uh, that's that's the verse that challenges me. Um, of course, when that is the institution saying we need you, and we need you because you're going to pay us money, that has a slightly different vibe. Um, slightly different vibe. The, what did the priests do? Where did the tithe go? So um, Monday's lesson was where is the storehouse and the verse was Malachi 3.10, which we, which we read uh, last week, but uh, I guess we could read it again. We actually haven't read a verse yet. Uh, I may read Malachi 3.10. Uh, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be not enough room to receive it. A real classic 
first to quote when we're talking about tithe. The um, Tuesday is the purpose of tithing. And uh, Levi, the tribe of Levi, was not given large properties. They had certain cities. Uh, they had enough for personal gardens. They were supported by the tithes of others, and they themselves also tithed their income. There you are. It says the Levites did tithe. Okay. Uh, then it says tithing is important because it helps us establish a relationship of trust with God. I had sort of thought that God had established a relationship of trust with us, but um, I might be splitting hairs there. <clears throat> Question where I want to move to is, um, so what did these Levites do? So, for instance, I'm going to throw one in. So you may as well just tell us. No, I've got one answer. They were quarantine officers. If there was an infection in the community, they went and um, or people came to them and they assessed the situation and told the person whether they had to isolate. Uh, What else did they do? As far as I understand in general terms, and I could be very wrong about this, I'd have to go and read the the verses that describe the organisation, but they were basically the government. They performed government functions. Like, they, give, they give me an example. The country, the cities of refuge, cities of refuge. So let's yeah, let's just put uh, let's just uh, let's put the cities of refuge. Did did uh, they would, would the judges from the tribe of Levites? Not necessarily. The people who judged. No, but the cities of refuge not, were administered yeah. by the Levites. But the Levites were called upon. The priests and the Levites were called on to resolve disputes, like moral disputes. Um, who is in the right in this situation? Right. Hmm. Oh, they, they obviously um, maintained the, the priesthood and the temple. Okay, so there's the temple and priesthood. Um, Although, as, as I think, Ken, you pointed out, that Levites were not exclusively priests. No, priests came from the Levites, but not all Levites were priests. Yeah. Um, uh, Luke, your job? Yes, delivering aid. Delivering aid. Community services and humanitarian disaster response and things like that. Uh, uh, What about, um, I don't know the answer to this, but what about the people, you know when they said, and all the rest that this king did was written down in the books of such and such. So the the social commentators and the historians and the... Record keeping. The record people, the people who preserved the narrative of their country. Um... So, like the cross between the investigative journalist, the historian, um, that they, they, they copied out the texts, and, and probably and, the accountant, and the accountant. Um, well, see, one of the one of the jobs that they did was was collecting tithe or administering or receiving tithes. Um, okay, uh, does this have a very strong parallel with uh, ministers of the gospel? There's some overlap. I don't think it's yeah. a very strong one. Well, it, it depends if you if you talk about what they what they do in practice or what they think they should be doing. Because I know some ministers with very strong opinions about how it's, it shouldn't really be the job of a minister to ad- administrate a church. Churches should church communities should should run themselves, and the the minister's job is to is to plant churches and to evangelize and and to care for provide provide spiritual guidance and support for a church community but not to be the the manager of a, of an administrative system so they see they see that the, the pastor's role as being something more like perhaps what the prophets are recorded as doing in the bible 
getting out there and preaching and and speaking to the people. But um, in practice, what a lot of pastors do is is run a church, make sure there's somebody to do Sabbath school, make sure there's someone to count offerings, make sure there's someone to preach the service, make sure there's someone to do the music, make sure there's someone to run the Pathfinder Club. And if they can't find people to do all those things, they, they do it themselves until they fall until apart in pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is a story that's been repeated uh, many times. My, the question that is really throwing itself at me is, I, you know, I began this episode thinking we're going to explore how could tithe look today, but I'm not even sure how it looked back then. If I just have a look at the notes we've written down, these tithes were given infrequently. For some people, it would have been annually. Imperishable goods um, with fairly large logistic challenges, a herd of goats or sheep, be they alive and ready to be sacrificed or, or post-sacrifice, is still a fairly difficult thing to transport around. And this this was to be a mechanism for supporting people who maintained the temple, but the temple had to be maintained all year round in the priesthood. They were involved in in being a moral compass for their society, and in that in that effect they 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 encapsulate some of the roles of it, the justice system they were were partly health professionals in um in uh issues for instance like like quarantine with with spreadable diseases um they were partly the the adra of their day delivering aids and services and they did all this with i mean how how do you do it without money how did it how did it actually happen how, how how were the Levites supported? Well, I mean, I don't know. It 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 must have been something along the lines of the barter system. Yeah, but, but I mean, in the sense of it was it was just direct or, or barter system is wrong because that's an exchange of goods. Um, it's something more like a donation of goods in kind. Yeah, people gave them clothes, gave them food, yeah, yeah. gave them housing. You know, whatever a person did as their livelihood in their community, they gave some of that to the Levites. Is is how I imagine it would work. I don't really know either. I've got a um I've got a couple of questions that take us in a different or a couple of things to raise that might take us in a slightly different direction. Uh, rather than talking about things that or trying to answer questions that I don't know the answer to. Um, the general tenor of the discussion that we've had to date has been something like, uh, well, we're being told we have to pay our tithe uh, uh, and we're being given all of these proof texts that show that we have to give 10% of our income to the church. Uh, we don't find the arguments very persuasive. Um, but why is it that we're concerned about that? What is it that motivates a desire to look to undermine the justifications for giving 10% of our income. Well, one of the, one of the reasons, uh, Ken, is that I um, have, have frequently been faced with situations where I'm, I am not sure uh, what, um, what to do. And I'm sceptical of my own motivations and um, sceptical of my scepticism about tithe. 
Um, and I just find that the the issue is one where there's very little frank conversation. So I'll, I'll give you an example. And our listeners are welcome to judge me on this and send scathing emails to sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com if so they wish. Um, I was told growing up that we tithed, uh, if we'd worked for money, we tithed it. If someone gave us birthday money, we didn't tithe it. That money was a gift from someone to us and it was the intent of the person who gave the gift for us to spend it. Um, and if they'd given and us... And it had a, already been tithed unless and you it, were receiving money from a heathen. Unless I was receiving money from a heathen. Okay. <clears throat> is a scholarship money you have earned or is it money you are given? <laughs> um, I've received some scholarships in my time. And in the case of one of them, a PhD scholarship, a PhD scholarship is $25,000 a year, which is chicken feed. I mean, you're employed full time. And it's the government free. says we'll give you... It's not just tax-free, it's tax-exempt. Because what the government has said is, yeah. um, we know that this is tokenistic. Not only is this tax-free, uh, you, you won't be taxing this money, but it does not count towards your tax, your first $18,000 yeah. tax-free yeah. threshold. Yeah. So the next, the next $18,000 you earn is also tax-free. And what the government effectively has said is, um, you are educating yourself, which will benefit the country, and why would we give you money and then tax it back? We'll just give you less. Um, uh, you know, I, I did not pay tithe on my scholarship, but I did pay tithe on the work, I, the, the money I earned during tutoring and lecturing. Mm. And um, that's an example of a situation which is so far removed from anything in the Bible. It's interesting. Um, uh, Lachlan spoke last week about not doing the direct debit system um uh but paying it so that he you know was practicing generosity consciously um uh, i sent an email that made some observations about that but i don't want mm. to refer to it any further at the moment because the what i want to say is i've done exactly the opposite or at least i've tried to do exactly the opposite and there's this website it's the e-giving website and mm -hmm. I I I, uh, I missed a payment because there wasn't enough in the bank account um, at, at that at that moment uh, when they did, tried to deduct it because they tried to take it out at midnight uh, and the money didn't go into my account for my pay until three a.m. and so the money wasn't there and um, and my whole schedule of giving got cancelled and I spent about an hour trying to set it up again and pay it again so that it would come out and I just kept getting frustrated and it kept getting cancelled and even I just couldn't make the website work and I was incredibly frustrated and there was a part of me that just said well if you really don't want to have my tithe I'm just not going to give it. Um. Well, Ken I've thought in the past and this is less than virtuous thought. So this is by way of confession. Uh, if I knew that my tithe was going to go into the pockets of software developers to fix some of these problems, <laughs> I would, I would, my tithe would increase. Um, <laughs> would happily well, give. I, well, I think I would feel the same way. The South Pacific Division IT team is quite large. Um, yeah. And some of your tithe does go towards Good. the maintenance and improvement of the e-giving app. Well, Although I think they could do a better job. As, um, as they should be. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, yeah, I know. It's just, and I'll hasten to their defence. It is not just the tithe giving app which causes me problem. I'm frequently faced with, you know, we wanted to support a local charity that does animal rescues. Um, and trying to navigate their system was just as bad. <laughs> I don't know. Why, why is it so hard to give money to people? Um, we, so c- coming back to your, your question, Ken, it's a very good one because, and as Cam said, you mistrust your motivations because your motivation can very easily end up being, well, I would like to, like to give tithes. That's not necessarily a greed thing. Mm. Uh, you may feel like you need more money mm. <laughs> because you're very short on it. Mm. Um, because interest rates have increased significantly. And that kind of comes to your point, Cam, which I thought was a really interesting one that we didn't dwell on, your suggestion that the church not tithe single parents more than 5%. It struck me as a very interesting idea that the church would refuse a possible income because they cared about the person who was willing to give it. Yeah. And so I, I like that idea a lot. And I think coming to your question, Ken, putting aside personal motivations, and I'll talk a little bit more about later if, if you want, uh, putting aside personal motivations, why do I have real problems with the way that the church fundamentally, and knowing a little bit about fundraising as I do from my, because I think it's bad for the church, and I think it's bad for for the church to be this fixated on a legalistic insistence that church members pay their 10% come rain, hail or shine, regardless of personal circumstances, regardless of how well the church is looking after them, regardless of their financial situation, regardless of anything else. Um, Or that person is morally inferior and committing a sin. Which is which is the way the church talks about. I I think that is a very, I think that's a really good point. Luke. um, can I use a, an example uh, from parenting? Um, uh, because I think when you, I think the whole framing of it as you know, God's contract with us, you tithe and you'll get the benefit. He'll uh, open like the storehouses of heaven. Of course, the storehouses of heaven doesn't necessarily mean the storehouses of the world. Um, but uh, putting that to one side, um, uh, when, uh, and, and I've experienced this, on occasions, I plan. I know that my child wants something, um, and they're 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 they uh, look. It might be a a Lego or a you know whatever it might be. Um, uh, they they want something, uh, and they're really focused on it. And I've bought it uh, because I know they want it, um, uh, and yet they. They're so fixated on getting it uh, that they try and manipulate me into giving it. They try to um, guilt me into giving it. They try to um, uh, make out that their life is, that they demand it. They say, I need this. Um, uh, And and eventually I give it to them, but I give it to them not with the joy of giving them a gift, um, they've, 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 by their demands, they've robbed me of the joy of giving, um, and 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 there's a sense in which it just feels a little bit like that. Um, you, you're 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 raising all of these arguments that oh, have 
on occasion some doubtful uh, force um, and trying to demand this of me when really what God is wanting from me is a generous heart. I think there's room to practice generosity consciously. Um, but at the end of the day, what is being sought is not somebody who's fulfilling their side of a contract, but somebody who is the sort of person who willingly uh, is 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 yeah. generous with their resources. Uh, and, and I don't think yeah. framing it the way that the lesson frames it and the way that our church often frames the obligation to tithe uh, is assisting in developing that sort of person. I, I think as well, it's really important to point out, you cannot force somebody else to be. Mm. You can force them to give up their stuff, but that's just yeah. uh, coercive theft. Called robbery. It's not yeah. actual generosity. It's called robbery. Or stealing it's like by force. It's, it's like George Farmer demanding of his congregation that he hear a spontaneous burst of applause after the next hymn. Um, <laughs> So, um, that's an Adrian Plass reference for our listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For anybody um, playing bingo at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, there, there is this to say in defence of regular tithe giving. If you want to be the sort of person who naturally wants to give generously, there will have to be some discipline involved mm. because your willingness to give generously will go up and down depending whether you're hungry or tired or how much sleep your kids allowed you to get the night before or whatever else. I mean, I, I said, and the, so for instance, there are some times where I um, tithe and I think, oh yeah, that, that, that was good. They're usually the times where I have more money in the bank account anyway. Mm. Um, mm. There are other times where, you know, you're simultaneously whacked with an unexpected tax debt and the car breaks down and something else and it really hurts. And so the idea of having a point of a fixed point in your life, of generosity is a discipline that's worth pursuing. Mm. And I think that that's, I, I think that message is best preached by someone who's not getting the money. Yeah. Um, mm. I, I think even if the message is really true, there's there, it, it looks bad. Um, I, I think that's the point. If there's one thing I wish that the church would learn when it comes to talking about tithe, it's that advocating for things that are obviously in your own self-interest, that pay your own salary, that prop up your own system, that support your own administration, is never going to convince people. It doesn't work for politicians. I mean, when was the last time, when was when was the last time that you, you that, that you saw a positive media um, representation and positive discussion of the necessary act of the politicians voting to increase the income of politicians? Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no, nobody yeah. ever says, oh, they, they, they're clearly, there, there's no self-interest involved. Yeah. Lawyers face no. it all the time. Uh, when when there's talking about, you know, the, the change of the scale of costs in the courts that, that, that that's going to be yeah. applied to lawyers' incomes, uh, they're only ever doing it for the money. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a bad look to have, and we ought to be more sensitive about it. I'll throw something yeah. else in the mix, and if there's any of our listeners who are Americans, I'd be interested in your feedback on this. Culturally, Australians are much more shy about talking about and especially asking for money than Americans. Mm. So oh, for it's, sure. 
it's, it's just accepted that obviously an organisation is going to need money. Obviously a politician needs money for donations. Mm. It's not a... I mean, you don't see Australian politicians going around spruiking for donations. Mm. And you, you do in the US, and, and it's just... And it, it doesn't raise the eyebrows because culturally, of course, of course they want the money. And if I agree with their cause, I'll give it to them. And if I don't, I won't. But I don't think any worse of them for asking. And I think that that element of American Adventism doesn't work when you export it. Mm. I, look, I think that's probably right. I, I have, and, and I know it's a terrible dilemma for charities to be in, but I give to various charities, uh, they then get my contact details. I then get phone calls from them, um, and the phone calls are actually demotivating. Um, uh, I'm happy to give. Mm. I just don't want you telephoning me to tell me to give Um, uh, because that's taking away from my other valuable resource, my time. Uh, that I don't want to spend on phone calls telling me to give. Um, uh, I want to spend it on other things. Um, it's a terrible dilemma. The last phone calls I received from a charity, and it's bizarre to me because it's not even a charity that I remember giving to. <laughs> Two days in a row, they called me while I was having dinner. Yeah. Yeah. What did they think was going to happen? <laughs> You're calling people at 6.30 p.m.? Well, at least you're going to talk to them. <laughs> uh, not for long, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, okay, I've got one last thing to throw in, and then I'm going to ask a question, and then I'm going to read a Bible verse and throw it over to any final thoughts. Okay. Um, so here's an observation. If you said to my students at school, uh, many of whom are very socially minded, environmentally you know, conscious, they... they, they they are not a selfish generation. There are students who are selfish, but you know there's a lot of kids who are interested in causes. If you said to them, hey, 10% of your monetary resources and one day a week, uh, let's get together and let's, let's imagine what we could do with 10% of our resources and one day a week. Tell me what you could do to make a difference in the world. The last thing any of them would think of is purchase a building, especially one that's only used for a couple of hours a week. They just, it just would not occur to them because they don't, have the same strong attachment to special places that previous generations had. A lot of their social interaction happens online and they can interact with the same friends while they're at a cafe or at the cinema or at the beach or at the whatever. Um, uh, There needs to be a discussion about how effective that socialisation is. I'm not sure that social media is always successful, but, but at least their world doesn't gravitate around places. What this means is... Um, in a hundred years' time, it is quite possible that the tithing process will be completely different. Is there any room for a creative conversation about what tithe could be? And, and where, where would that conversation happen? Hmm. Uh, yeah, a lot of it comes back to, uh, again, uh, defining the purpose of tithe. And defining that purpose can come back to your view of uh, mission. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, if you view uh, a particular de- denomination as the sole repository of all truth and 
the um, uh, the organisation yeah. that will be finally recognised as being the only um, the only instrument true worshippers, God's using. Um, then then you'll say, well, of course we have to support that institution, uh, that denomination. Uh, but if you see things differently, uh, you, you'll see a different purpose for it. And uh, so I think there is room for a creative conversation about how and what and um, the purpose of it. On the other hand, I also think that uh, if I'm going to participate in a denominational community, uh, I have a responsibility to it. You know, I can't just take everything without contributing, including financially. Well, uh, do you have any closing thoughts, Luke? Um, yeah, I just keep coming back to the idea that I, what I hope for the church is that it can some, something more effective, more focused both on the well-being of those who are giving and those who are receiving benefit from what the money is used for. Mm and less obviously focused about the church's need to balance its, its, its conference budget. Well, there are three challenges for our listeners. Yeah. One, how can we have constructive conversations about tithe? Two, how can we be creative about the purposes of tithe? Uh, and three, um, what care can we take about our own motivations for tithing? I'm going to finish with this verse, which is in Tuesday's discussion, and that day's discussion is entitled The Purpose of Tithing. And the lesson quotes Acts 20, verse 35. I've shown you in every way by labouring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion. Dear listener, um, feel free to share this podcast with anyone uh, that you would like uh, feel even more free to share with us your thoughts um, I found personally Ty that the whole issue to be a bit of a dilemma because uh, any sort of open discussion is done in secret and <laughs> I don't think I don't think that's helpful if you have any thoughts um, please email them to us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com we look forward to to getting them and uh Please join us again for our discussion next week.